You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's a Thursday edition of Crunch Time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. As a reminder, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. And the game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. We talked yesterday about how the New Orleans Pelicans needed a win last night. Well, a win they got. We will pre- we will recap that game, a 121-110 to win for the Pels. We will also talk LSU basketball. Played great for 35 minutes, and those last five minutes came to be crucial. Uh, we'll recap that game as well. Cajun women's basketball falling short in the Sunbelt Tournament last night. We will talk about that game as well. My producer and co-host, is the one and only Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Thursday, sir. Rocking the headband. How are you? I am indeed. How are you, Matt? I'm good. I am good. Uh, the, the the weekend is... Just one step closer. In, it's in sight. It's in sight. Uh, th- there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train. So that is, that is progress. But no, you know, looking at the Pelicans, we talked yesterday about how... They have really struggled to really play well lately, uh, whether you look at injuries or just lack of cohesion with with the Pels. But last night played, I'm going to say they played really well, beating Portland 121 to 110. Now, I, I know Portland's not, you know, this world beater squad this year. But when you look at the 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 numbers, anytime a team shoots fifty two percent from the field and thirty six percent from downtown, it's usually a recipe for success. Then you add in the fact that they only turned the ball over six times. Not only was it a good game, James, it was a clean one. C.J. McCollum had a good night. Brandon Ingram scores 40 for the first time this season. You had contributions from Najee Marshall and Jackson Hayes as well. It was all around a a good night. The only thing that kind of I kind of look at and go, you know, that could have been better. I'd have liked it a little bit more if Trey Murphy wouldn't have gone 3 of 10 from the field in in 32 minutes of play. But he also grabbed 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals. He was was contributing in, in other ways. And then when you look at Portland, Damian Lillard is one of those guys that is going to get his. You're not going to stop Damian Lillard from scoring 30-plus, especially when he's on a tear like he's been. So him getting 41, not surprised with at all. 
Jeremy Grant getting 28 almost came back to bite you. He was 5 of 9 from downtown, 7 of 14 total from the field. You also had 12 from Matisse Thibel. And then a guy that we talked yesterday about how it was almost time to give up on him, James. Cam Reddish gets 13, 4 of 8 from the field. And he, he, he looked pretty good. But let's talk more about what this win means for the Pelicans now sitting at 31 and 32. They now have a tight grip on the 10 seed and could be looking to to move up higher than that here in, in the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, they do play the Golden State Warriors tomorrow night. You're now tied with Utah. And you're a game out of seventh. You're a game and a half out of sixth. In your opinion, when looking at what you've seen from the Pelicans recently, are you okay with the position that they're at, especially with the way that they played last night? Do you think that they can sustain the way they played last night? I don't know if they're going to be able to sustain it because this is what we see a lot. You'll see some games where they'll struggle. Then you'll get some games where they look like a really competent basketball team and they meet the expectations that a lot of us had at the beginning of the season. Now, granted, this was against a Portland Trailblazers team that was just a half game behind you just before last night. So it's not like this was, a, in my eyes, a super impressive win. This is what you should have been, do- this is what you should have been doing all along. This guy's not showing the Pelicans any love. Yikes. Now look, it was it was a solid win, but it's like, look, this is why this is what I was expecting more often. But the fact that you've gone a lot on these losing streaks. Now I know you haven't had Zion and you anticipated him to be here more often, but you're so, kinda you're kinda gonna have to do what you did last year if you want to do it and go on a run late. So I've got an interesting statistic that they brought up in the broadcast last night. So now if you count last night's game, Zion has missed the last 26 games. Mm-hmm. The Pelicans are 8-18 eight and 18 without it. Not good. No. That's and not that good. includes that 10-game losing streak. Flip it. Let, let's, let's flip it to what if they were 18-8? and eight? You're looking at a 41-22 and 22 team right now. That'd be good for second in the West. If you flip that win-loss record without Zion Williamson. Then we'd be talking about a whole different team. You'd be nitpicking at that point. Because, I mean, what what issues would you have with being two in the West? The fact that you're not first? Like, whoop-de-doo. The Pelicans being second in the West just sounds almost impossible. Especially at this point in the season. But it's one of those things where now you're wondering how much longer Zion's going to be out because you haven't really heard any update other than the fact that they said last night that in a couple of weeks he'd be he'd be looked at again. But where do you where do you stand for a playoff push? Who's going to be the guy that steps up? Because Brandon Ingram's been playing well ever since he came back. C.J. McCollum's had a couple of nice nights. 
but he's very streaky. There are nights where he will drop 30, and then there's nights where he struggles to drop 17. You need somebody that's going to step up behind Brandon Ingram and contribute on a regular basis. And you can tell that this team is missing Jose Alvarado. You are missing the the spark and the fire that Alvarado brings to the lineup. Um, so you're hoping to get him back here in the next couple of weeks as well to you know, really start to prepare for that playoff push here with about 18 or so games left in the regular season. Your poll question of the day today, what type of sports memorabilia do you value the most? Is it a signed jersey? Is it a game-worn jersey? Is it a milestone home run ball? Signed baseball card? Maybe something else. So far, 33% of you saying a milestone home run ball, 31% saying a game-worn jersey, 30% saying a signed jersey, and 6% saying a signed card. James, which out of those four, which one would you want the most? To me, it doesn't even have to be specifically a home run record ball. I'm thinking just any ball in general that includes a big-time record. Like if it was any one of Drew Brees' football where he got a record, or if it was a baseball record for like home runs or whatever, or if you had like even LeBron's ball where he uh, passed Kareem or passed uh, yeah Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for all-time uh, scoring. It's like any one of those where you can make a big-time record. I think that's where you value it the most because even game-worn jerseys, sure. Even the jersey that the player wore when they broke the record, sure. But the ball that they did it with or the glove that they did it with, I think to me that one values more because it was in the action. Yeah, I, I don't. I agree with that. Um, my next one would probably be either a game-worn jersey or a signed jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Signed baseball cards are cool. Yeah. Because depending on the card, there's only so many in the world. Right. But that's the thing is there's only one baseball with that record. Correct. There's only one football with that record. Correct. So we'd love to hear what you think. Looking at a couple of the comments on Twitter, Mr. Green says, I'll go with Milestone Ball with a stipulation that it's a player I like or my team. Then again, if it's a player I don't like, King's Ransom. <laughs> Sell it. He said, I'm, get it out of here. I'm with him. I don't want it. Darren says, I have a few of all except the home run ball. Uh, Robert says, money-wise, it would have to be the home run ball. I love sports, but I love money more. Fair. Brad says, a game-worn jersey. Not a home run ball because they always want it back. And not a signed jersey because those are easy to get. Baseball cards are too fragile as well. Shout out to D'Lo for... The joke of the day is 19% good. Chico says, I cherish my nine championship rings, signed jerseys, helmets, etc. But one of my faves is a brick from the old Rosenblatt Stadium when UL went to Omaha in 2000. Now that's cool. That is cool. Especially since Rosenblatt's not there anymore. That's cool. I mean, you went to brick. Man, <laughs> I didn't know you had that, Chico. That's, that's awesome. Um... Also, speaking of calling us up on the game hotline, if you want a pair of tickets to Ariel Angels at Michael's Men's Club, 
on Wednesday, March the 8th. Give us a call, 337-706-0111. We gave a pair away yesterday. We'd love to give a pair or two away today. Once again, 337-706-0111. Your guest list for today at 4.30, Noah Frary works for the Sunbelt. He will join us to recap what's happened so far in the Sunbelt Women's Tournament preview the weekend ahead he is in Pensacola for both the men's and women's tournament we'll talk to him about that and much more and then at 5 30 Chris Haymeyer he is the radio voice for the Campbell fighting camels he will join us to preview this weekend's matchup at the Teague between the Raging Cajuns and Campbell so don't go anywhere a stacked crunch time coming for you next this is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's crawfish time in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is giving you a chance to win everything you need for the ultimate crawfish boil. It's the game's ultimate crawfish boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, and Iron Horse Sales and Service. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score a $500 Visa gift card, a boiling pot, a burner, a paddle, ice chest, tumblers and chairs, and two giant sacks of crawfish. And if you needed more, we're also throwing in a pair of Astros tickets. So enter now in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com for the ultimate crawfish boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, Iron Horse Sales and Service, and the game. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 419 here on your Thursday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. We go over to Lake Charles last night. What a night for McNeese. Both men's and women's basketball picking up wins over UNO. The men, the women winning 68-56 to in that one. The Cowgirls shooting 46% from the field, only 17%. From downtown, they turned the ball over 23 times and somehow found a way to win. Divine Tanks led the way for McNeese. The 6'1 senior out of Lake Charles had 18 points, 8 rebounds in 33 minutes of action. She shot 73% from the field to lead the Cowgirls in that one. Meanwhile, John Aiken's group, 80-73 to 73 over UNO. Zaire Scott, 18 points on 6 of 15 shooting. Only 45% from the field. Zach Scott, excuse me. Uh, 45% from the field for the Cowboys. 23% from 3. But James, the rebound margin, made the difference for the Cowboys. They out-rebounded the Privateers 47-24. to 24. In this contest with a win, McNeese now 9-22, and 6-12 in the Southland, but it was good enough to get them a spot in the Southland Conference Tournament. You know what really, what I really enjoyed about this game 
was the fact that it wasn't just one or maybe two guys kind of doing a majority of the scoring. He had all five starters reach double digits, mm-hmm. which is really good. Yeah, no, it was a great performance by uh, by McNeese. And now what's going to be interesting is we've talked about how they've struggled all season long. Now you're getting into tournament time. Mm-hmm. Anything Anything can possible. happen. Anything can happen. This time in two weeks, could McNeese be playing in the NCAA tournament? Maybe. We don't know. That's the fun about the tournament, and that's why I love college basketball. You do not know what's going to happen. And it's just, oh man, good for McNeese. Good for the Cowboys. You know who didn't have a good night last night, James? LSU. So... I covered this game, and it started out so good. It was senior night. They let Parker Edwards start. He's only played one minute all season long. What's he do? Knocks down a pair of threes in the first two minutes. You're up 6 nothing, just like that. He scored. He hit his first three 12 seconds into the game. That man wasted no time. 50 seconds later, he hits another one. It's 6-0. Derek Fountain goes, hits a layup. Next thing you know, it's 8-0 LSU two minutes into the game. And then Missouri starts to find their way back into the game just a little bit. It's 13-5 at the first media timeout. You get to halftime, and LSU's up 47-34. to And so you're thinking, man, you got a 13-point lead at the half. You might have something here. Well, in the second half, LSU was outscored 47-29 for Missouri to run away with this one, 81-76. Looking at the box score, the Missouri Tigers were led by Damari Hodge, 23 points on 8 of 16 shooting. Golston also had 20 for the Tigers. Meanwhile, for LSU, K.J. Williams doing what K.J. Williams does. 24 points, 14 rebounds. He was 6 of 12 from the field, 4 of 7 from the three-point line. Adam Miller having a big night as well, 17 points on 5 of 9 from downtown. The glare in his stat line, however, 6 turnovers on the night for the guard And then Jalen Reed, 11 points off of the bench, 7 rebounds as well. With the loss, the Tigers are now 13-17, 2-15 in the SEC. Now, you're going to make the SEC tournament. Everyone does. But James, if you're Matt McMahon, you do not want to go into the SEC tournament as the 14th seed. You don't. Now, there's a way you can get out. Of that 14 seed. Beat Florida on Saturday. If you beat Florida on Saturday, I'm almost certain I haven't looked at tiebreakers or anything like that in the SEC. But I would be led to believe that you're out of the 14 spot into the 13 spot, depending on what happens in Ole Miss and South Carolina's games. Because... Whether you're 13 or 14, it's not going to be an easy draw regardless. 
But 13's got to be a little easier than 14, right? You would you would think. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. Beating Florida is not going to be an easy task. You have to go to Gainesville. That is a very tough place to play. Colin Castleton is back. He's healthy. And that's just that's not going to be a fun night for Matt McMahon and company. But like I said, if they could get a win over Florida on Saturday and just kind of put themselves back on a winning track heading into the SEC tournament, it it could run it could change their fortune around. Looking at the NFL combine, yesterday we talked with our guy Ross Jackson about a defensive tackle out of pit named Kalea Cansey. Well, today defensive tackles ran the 40-yard dash. And Kalasia Cansey ran the fastest 40 time by a defensive tackle in 17 years. His official time in the 40 was a 4.67. 4.67 for a def- interior defensive tackle. James, that is booking it. Yeah, that's faster than me right now. That is booking it. I mean, I was sitting here saying, man, I'd love to see a DT run under five. 4.67. Wow. Now, Ross said yesterday that, you know, Kalasia Cansey could be a guy that the Saints look at. I think I think now I think now you might have to. Now, now you got you might, a lot more teams looking at him. Now you might have to. Um, a lot more eyes are on him. Yeah, now. you might actually have to fight to get him now. Uh, his time was the second fastest by any combine participant who weighed at least 280, behind only Mario Williams. And apparently, Aaron Donald ran a 4.6940 at the 2014 combine. That's impressive. Those are impress. And you talk about Aaron Donald. Both of them came from Pitt. So, good stuff. Kalasia Cansey now, like James said, has a lot more eyes on him heading into the NFL draft next month. Speaking of the New Orleans Saints, Alvin Kamara has pleaded not guilty on all charges related to his 2022 incident in a Las Vegas nightclub. He and three other People were charged with conspiracy to battery and battery with substantial bodily harm. Uh, Kamara has, like I said, pleaded not guilty to all charges. Trial is set for July 31st, which is smack dab in the middle of training camp. It's funny how that works. We'll we'll see we'll see what happens with that. Once again, the game hotline is three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. The Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns fell to App State last night, fifty one to thirty eight in the second round of the Sun Belt Conference tournament. Noah Frary was on the call of that one in Pensacola. He will join us next to give his thoughts on what went wrong for the Cajuns and how can the men make it to the NCAA tournament. All that and more coming up next. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Hit high, hammered to left field. Going back, taking a look is Holcomb, and it's good! 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Driven pretty well and pretty deep to left field. Going back as Marshall, looking up. See you later! Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I got to give all the credit to App State. I thought they played an excellent game. They defended us well. They scored it well. Uh, they made it a little bit more difficult to guard them than the last time we played them. So, you know, give a lot of credit to their preparation and, and how good they looked. You know, it's just for us, it's just one of those games. We just uh, seem to not get everything going. And when we did, they always had an answer. So this is part of being in the conference tournament. You know, anybody can win. It's anybody's game. And uh, just kind of disappointing for our seniors. And But we're a young team. We'll go back to work and, you know, no excuses. Hopefully we can... Uh, Kind of get back going and maybe change the maybe change the game one day. The Louisiana Rage and Cajuns falling to App State fifty-one to thirty-eight last night in the second round of the Sun Belt Conference tournament. When you only score fourteen points and a half, things typically don't look very good for your night. Uh, the Cajuns are only shooting twenty-four percent from the field. Noah Frary who does radio for an ESPN Plus calls for the Sunbelt Conference. He was on the call of that game last night between App State and Louisiana, and he joins us from Pensacola. Noah, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? Hey, I always enjoy uh, jumping on the show and, and certainly uh, excited to talk some more Sunbelt basketball. So looking at this particular game, where, where do you think that it went wrong for, for Louisiana? Uh, the easy answer is offensively. I mean, what went right for them offensively last night? And their answer is not very much. Um, it was really interesting just early on in that game. I think neither team was hitting shots. App State hit a few more shots. Um, you know, we did get the brief excitement of Destiny Rice hitting a half-court shot at the buzzer at the end of the second quarter. But uh, it just wasn't a very good offensive game. And I thought it was interesting. We, we spoke with Gary Broadhead um, prior to the tournament. And he said, you know, in years past, our defense has been able to carry us. We have just enough offense. And he said prior to the tournament, he says, our defense is going to be good, which, again, you look at last night, App State, you know, puts up, I think it was 51 points, if my memory serves me. Um, but, so the defense was really good last night. But in that conversation, he says, you know, I don't know if we have enough offense this year. Obviously, I think the, the loss of Brandy Williams prior to the season really just torpedoed the season for Louisiana. She is that good of a player. Uh, they, you know, lost Holman, you know, Doucette's gone. Um, it was just going to be a transition year for the Raging Cajuns, and they simply just did not have enough offense down the stretch. And in tournament time, yes, good defense, and defense can win championships. Uh, but at the end of the day, you also have to score the basketball because if you can't score and your opponent still has a low score, it's still considered an L in the uh, the loss category. Yeah, you know, looking at the box score, Lene Wheaton had 12, but then – your highest point scorer after that was Destiny Rice with five. I mean, scoring was was spread out, but nobody really stood up on on side of, of Lene Wheaton, which has kind of been one of Louisiana's biggest issues this year. But you know, looking ahead to the future, the, this team's fairly young. Uh, you know, do, do do you see some hope for the future in, in the Raging Cajuns? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how can you not with a coach like Gary Broadhead at the helm? Um, you know, I think even in the soundbite you played before, it will be interesting to see if the current setup, the current system is always the same at Louisiana. You can clearly see a shift towards more offense in college basketball, in the Sun Belt as a whole. Uh, and, you know, will Gary Broadhead have to start making adjustments for Louisiana? But again, you hit the nail on the head. Very young team. They had a lot of players that had to play this year because of injuries, players that had left. So this was an experience-building year. But if, if Gary Broadhead has proven anything, it's his ability to get this team in the right positions, play for championships. And, and I would expect that to be the case in the future. I think the one tough thing last night to see was it did feel like there wasn't much energy from that bench. And it, it felt like at times that some of those players didn't want to be there. And it will be interesting to see in this offseason if there's any change around that program, not necessarily in terms of jobs, but players that are still there, transfer portal activity. Um, so, you know, anytime there's a tough loss, you know, the day after, we're all going to try to dissect it. That was a tough one. I know it's been a tough season for Louisiana, and but I would still expect them to bounce back uh, in the future and once again return to being one of the top teams in this conference. You know, six games into the women's tournament, it has set up a, an incredible quarterfinal round tomorrow. James Madison and Marshall, Troy, Old Dominion, Southern Miss, Arkansas State, and then Texas State, App State. Uh, going to be four great matchups. You know, we'll, we'll start with James Madison and Marshall. That's going to be a not only a top-seeded matchup, but a regional matchup as well. James Madison being the number one seed, getting their first taste of the Sun Belt Conference Tournament. Give me your thoughts on that game. Yeah, that one is going to be fun. We talked to uh, James Madison's coach, uh, Sean O'Regan, this morning, and he talked about how his team is coming in, playing with an edge, and he's challenged them to play angry. That's a Marshall team that last Friday went into Harrisonburg on senior night and, and stole James Madison's senior night and did it in kind of embarrassing fashion. Uh, James Madison's coming, and they have the best player in the conference, Kiki Jefferson. Uh, they have the sixth woman of the year in Peyton McDaniel, and I would expect uh, them to play really well. But having said that, Marshall's looked really good in his tournament. Abby Beeman, the you know standout point guard for Marshall, uh, it looks like the ball's on a, a string uh, for her when she's out there. They got some standout performances to get past Coastal Carolina. So don't sleep on the Thundering Herd. Uh, but James Madison, they're among the favorites right now, and, and there's a reason for that. And then obviously Troy and the job that Chanda Rigby has done in, in her time in Troy. Uh, they've, they've got a good matchup with a Old Dominion team that, again, one of the four new faces to the conference. Uh, can the Trojans put themselves back in the semifinal? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, a good Trojans team again. Uh, this has not been uh, the Trojans team that we've come to expect. And, again, I spoke with Shanda this morning just ahead of the tournament. And, you know, they've, again, dealt with injuries. They've dealt with trials and tribulations. And they've had some players, I think, of like a Taishika Porsche, who's had to play a much bigger role than expected this year. So they've maximized themselves early on this year. They've been struggling here late. But, you know, they have the proven track record of playing well in this tournament, and it's not going to surprise me to see them make a run to the final. Um, they're that good, and, you know, but it, Old Dominion is, is sneaky good. They've been one of the better teams in the conference. They played a good game yesterday. They have one of the best elevators in Amari Young, so Old Dominion certainly could give it a challenge. I think that one perhaps has the chance to be our game of the day. 
chatting with Noah Freire. He does ESPN Plus calls for the Sun Belt Conference. Flipping over to the men's side, I know you're not you're not calling the games in, in the men's, but I know you've kept a, a close eye on the way that that tournament's unfolding. Louisiana's going to have a difficult road to the championship, but it might not be as difficult as one of their new rivals in, in Southern Miss. Yeah, I, I would not agree with you, uh, or I, w- I would agree with you. I, I misspoke there. But, yes, it's going to be a tough road for Southern Miss. I mean, South Alabama today able to squeak by App State, but South Alabama's been one of the hotter teams. Uh, they've played Southern Miss well this season. So, yeah, I think that there's there's a good chance that we'll see a really good game on uh, that first game on Saturday. Uh, Louisiana, you know, they're going to get the winner of this 7-10 game, um, you know, that's, that's being played later on tonight between Georgia Southern and ULM. I feel like those are two teams that they're going to be able to handle well, play well against. Uh, the biggest thing that we've seen early on in this tournament on the women's side, we've also seen it on the men's, is it is taking these teams a little bit to get acclimated. And so to me, I've always felt like teams who have already played in the tournament, yes, there's tired legs, uh, but at the end of the day, those teams who've already played in that environment do have an advantage. And we saw that play out on the women's side yesterday, an Arkansas State team playing against a higher seed, and, and they were able to win that game over Georgia Southern. So keep an eye on that. I think teams that have played already against some of these teams who are sitting and not playing, I think that, that that's fascinating and, and could lead to some upsets in that quarterfinal round. You know, you brought up the Georgia Southern ULM game. The winner of that one will play Louisiana. Looking at it, you know, the Cajuns played ULM twice, beat them by 15-plus both times. And then the Georgia Southern game, the Cajuns trailed by 19 at the half, stormed back to win it. Noah, if you're you're Bob Marlin, which team would you rather face? Oh, I absolutely want ULM, but I'll say this, Matt, like, I'm not sure whether it's the women's side, whether it's the men's side. There's not one team in this tournament that's still left that you don't feel like has a chance to win it. So I think the answer is probably ULM in this because they Louisiana's handled them well both this year and historically. Um, but, yeah, this tournament on both the men's and the women's side, and we saw it during the regular season, it's playing out like that in Pensacola. It's just wide open right now. And, you know, that's why we suited up in March. That's why all of us that cover March Madness and and college basketball and March love it so much because you have to come to expect the unexpected. And I expect to see some unexpected things in Pensacola over the next day or two. Noah Frary of the Frary and Smith podcast. He calls Sunbelt Games for ESPN Plus. Joins us here on the game hotline. Noah, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the rest of the weekend in Pensacola and the craziness that, that March Madness is going to bring. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Hey, thank you so much. I always enjoy coming on the show and uh, look forward to uh, watching the rest of the tournament. And there he goes, Noah Frary of ESPN Plus covering the Sun Belt Conference. Louisiana Rage and Cajuns men's basketball team will play Saturday night at 7.30. They await the winner of Georgia Southern and ULM. That game will be played at 7.30 tonight inside the Pensacola Bay Center. Looking at some more top stories before we take our final timeout of our number one, LeBron James has a tendon injury in his foot. It'll be reevaluated in three weeks. That is good news for the Pelicans as the Los Angeles Lakers are currently breathing down their neck. Um, so that that. It's an opportunity for the Pelicans to space themselves out from the Lakers now that the Lakers will not have 
their superstar in LeBron James. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers also expected to release tight end Cameron Brait. Uh, I told James earlier, the Saints need a tight end. Could could they find a way to... They need a second tight end, should I say. I'm good with Juwan Johnson. They need a second tight end, though, because I, I just don't know if I believe in Adam Troutman anymore. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there in that trade. And also looking at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, John Rahm. What can't this guy do? A seven under round number one. He has sole possession of the lead by two strokes in the Arnold Palmer Invitational. He is on a tear as of late, and it'll be interesting to see how the weekend plays out because Bay Hill's been talked about as one of the tougher courses on the PGA Tour. So can John Rahm continue his success through the weekend and win at Bay Hill? We'll find out on tomorrow's edition of Crunch Time. But we'll take a time out here, and we'll wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You can win a VIP package for Michael's Men's Club's Aerial Angels event on March 8th by sending a text to score a table for four with bottle service and appetizers. Join the Games Tech Club by texting ANGELS to 337-283-8100. Once you are a member, you'll be eligible to score tickets to see Michael's Men's Club Aerial Angels, courtesy of the game's text club. Once again, text ANGELS to 337-283-8100. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. What type of sports memorability would you value the most? A signed jersey, a signed baseball card, a game-worn jersey, or maybe like a milestone home run ball? Right now, leading slightly is the game-worn jersey with second coming in with the milestone home run ball. Kind of kind of another type of hypothetical for you, Matt. It's okay. between Bobby Boucher. Oh, God. <laughs> And Forrest Gump. So let's let me give you the hypothetical. It's a tie in the Super Bowl. Thirty seconds left. Forrest wants to go home, and Bobby thinks Forrest was talking bad about his mama. Who's winning that battle at the goal line? Bobby Boucher. Bobby. Oh God, yeah. I think so too. Oh God, yeah. Bobby Boucher is opening up a can of whoop ass. Hey, oh yeah. <laughs> Don't you talk about my mama? Oh, such a good movie. I, I think I think he would get stuffed. Oh, absolutely. Now, Forrest Gump's a painful runner, don't get me wrong. That man runs in a straight line. But name a guy on a football field when Bobby Boucher was angry that beat him. Cause cause here's the thing. Forrest is more of a straight line speed Correct. kind of guy. Run, Forrest, run. So what made him so effective was like he was just so he just made hard cuts going left right and just going straight. But if you're at the goal line, you yeah. don't really have a lot of momentum to just run forward. You're not you're not getting past Bobby. So I, I'm gonna take Bobby Boucher in that one as well. Another thing that I did see though, 
I've heard a lot of people kind of talking about it. It was more of like the owners. So you know how the Eagles are very effective this year in QB sneaks with Jalen Hurts where they almost kind of did a rugby type of run where they just pushed Jalen forward. Mm-hmm. And it helped them get a lot of conversions and get up a lot of touchdowns. Well, apparently NFL owners and like people big in the NFL are looking to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. They're trying to outlaw it. That's That's been a thing for a couple of years now. They've been trying to get rid of that. But it's interesting because if you look at the usage rate and the conversion rate, yeah, the QB sneaks are at 86%. But do you know what's interesting? Teams only use a QB sneak 10% of the time. Yeah, I was about to say, it's not a it's not they don't a They don't run often. it as, They don't run it as often as you think they would. They usually try to pass it on third and fourth and short 41% of the time. Mm-hmm. Running back runs, they do that 43% of the time. And then QB runs that are not counted as sneaks is about 6% of the time, which funny with that one, that's converted 69% of the time. So I it's like, why, why would you go? It's not like it's getting abused. It's got right. a high usage. Like, the efficiency is really good, but it's not like it's getting used a lot. Right. I mean, I, I, think, I, I think the thing that does they it almost feel like it's of, a, Does it I, feel like it's almost a guarantee? Sure. Correct. But it's not like it's getting abused to where you're like, okay, well, now we have to stop this. I think they just want to eliminate the push. Which I get, but I mean... Can't the defensive line and the defense do pretty much the same thing as well and like just clog up whatever side the QB tries to go off of the center? Yeah, but like you're gonna stuff you're gonna stuff three, four guys in that zone area anyway and make their push. Um, I don't know. I see it from both sides, so it, it's kind of hard for me to make a judgment one way or the other because because I I really do see where both sides are coming from. And plus, aren't offenses kind of struggling anyway? to score and get conversions a lot of the time. So why would you outlaw a rule that helps promote more offense whenever you've been dictating the rules to help offenses in these last decades? Because it's the no-fun league. That's why. Like It doesn't make sense. You want more offense, but you want to take away what helps promote that more offense. It's the no-fun league. It's the best answer I got for you. One thing that we need to get into is your Boston Celtics Mm -hmm. have done it again. They had the Cleveland Cavaliers come to Boston last night, one of the better teams in the NBA as of late. And the Celtics picked up a massive win. Donovan Mitchell scored 44. Jason Tatum scored 41 of his own. You did a nice job uh, of controlling the other key pieces for the Cavs. Darius Garland did drop 29, but outside of that, I mean, Evan Mobley had 12. Karis LeVert had 10. That's really about it. Uh, So you you did a really nice job of, of controlling everybody else. And then when you look at the Celtics, 41 from Tatum. 23 from Horford, 16 from Brown, 14 from Smart. You even had 11 from Robert Williams. It was a good night in Beantown. Huge, huge night from Horford because look at his efficiency. The dude couldn't miss. Yeah, 8 of 10. He was pretty – 6 of 8 from downtown (laughs) for a center. For a center, 6 of 8 from downtown. Mm -hmm. 
Got himself a double-double, just like Jason. And so did Rob. Yeah, Rob saying, had 11-11. Everybody had, those three guys all had 11 rebounds. 11-11-11. And then Rob Williams also had 11 points. Heck, if you could have gotten one more 11 out there somewhere, you'd have had a Yahtzee. Sports Yahtzees are always fun. So now the Celtics... Scorigamis are really cool, too. Scorigamis are fun, too. Uh, Boston Celtics now 45-18. and 18. They're 25 and 7 inside of the TD Garden. The TD Garden. Uh, speaking of teams that played really well at home this year, how about Duke going undefeated inside Cameron Indoor in John Schreier's first season? I think this was the first time that a Duke team had gone undefeated at home in 40 years. So a very impressive start to to Don Shire. Uh, he became the John Shire became the first head coach in the ACC to go undefeated at home in his first season, and it was the first time since 2013 that Duke finished undefeated at home. So really, uh, again, a, a historical feat for. The Duke Blue Devils last night, they now prepare for the ACC tournament. Hour number one is in the books. Hour number two, we're going to talk some LSUE. We're going to talk some NASCAR. We're even going to get into a little NHL trade deadline. And we'll preview a matchup between the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and the Camels of Campbell. All that and much more right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two is underway here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a central is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on our simulcast at Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. In hour number one, we recapped LSU's loss to Missouri. We also talked about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns falling to App State. And we previewed, we recapped the win for the Pelicans last night up in the Pacific Northwest as they took down the Portland Trailblazers. Here in our number two, we're going to preview the matchup between Louisiana and Campbell as well as we're going to recap the LSUE loss for the Bengals last night as they fell in the second round of the Region 23 tournament to Meridian, Meridian Community College, 72-57. to 57. You'll also hear from head coach Byron Starks in that one. But once again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. James, before we get to the LSUE stuff, looking at the NFL scouting combine just a little bit further, we talked earlier about Kalasia Kansi's 467 
40-yard dash time. You know, are you looking... What position group from the, the combine as a whole, from the whole weekend, are you looking forward to seeing the most as a group that the Saints also really need to pay attention to? Really looking at the D-line, but also really looking at the offensive line. It's not the sexy pick. Would you always love to look at the quarterbacks? Sure. Would you like to look at the running backs and receivers? Sure. But what is a lot of the teams that often make it deep in the playoffs and make it to the Super Bowls and win those Super Bowls have? They have good offensive and defensive line play. They have also depth. Yeah. That's where you see it nowadays. That's where you sure. start. Where the ball's on the line of scrimmage. Who's on the line of scrimmage right next to the ball? The O-line and the D-line. That's where it all starts, ends, and begins. So when when you look at the defensive lines, mm-hmm. you've got Jalen Carter, you've got Will Anderson, you've got Tyree Wilson, and you've got Miles Murphy. Those are those are the four top names in this draft class for the D line position, edge rushers included. Uh in your opinion, out of the four, right now. Who's going to have the better NFL career out of those four? I mean, you got it, – it's really kind of a toss-up right now between Jalen Carter and Will Anderson. Both had really good measurables, but, I mean, Jalen Carter just kind of feels like one of those guys. Yeah. Another I one mean, that he really does. Another one that is a Georgia Bulldog as well is Nolan, Nolan Smith. Smith. That dude's nasty. And and people kind of forgot about him because he missed so much of the season with an mm-hmm. injury. He ran a four 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 today. He did. He's a defensive lineman, and he ran a four four four. Man, I somebody is going to get him for cheaper than originally planned because of the injury that he dealt with this year. It's so funny you were asking for these defensive linemen to run sub five, and pretty much all and just about a lot of has. a lot of them are running sub five. In fact, you got people like Nolan running a four four four. You got oh man, this is gonna be a tough one. Uh, Ware. better you than me. Adabaware, he ran a he ran a four five four. So it's like a lot of these guys are running a lot faster than we're used to, kind no. of back in the day. Everyone's becoming more and more athletic, and they're realizing you can't just be big and strong. You need to be athletic, too. So we, we talked earlier about Kalasia Kansi, and obviously people are comparing him to Aaron Donald since both guys went to pit. Listen to how close this is, James. Aaron Donald at the Combine was six foot and three-quarter of an inch. Kalasia Kansi's at six foot. Aaron Donald was 285. Kansi's 280. The 10-yard split... Cansey was a 1.64. Aaron Donald was a 1.63. And now, Kalasia Cansey runs a 4.6740, while Aaron Donald ran a 4.68. Now, I know that this is just four statistics that are oddly similar and the fact that they went to the same school and played the same position. It's weird how the coincidences are lining up. Could we be looking at the next Aaron Donald? I know that's crazy, and and I know that that's lofty expectations to put on a kid that's never played a snap in the NFL. 
but it's it's eerily kind of wild how everything is matching up. So could somebody be getting a steal in the 20s of the first round if you acquired Kalasia Kansi? My vote is yes. Because last night after we talked with Ross Jackson and he spoke so highly about him, I actually went and watched some tape of Kalasia Kansi and the young man's impressive. Like, very impressive. Um, so if the Saints could get him at 29, that'd be great. If you maybe have to move up to, you know, 22, 23, could probably make that happen as well. Uh, you need to find a way to get this kid. Because he could be... He's jumping up on a lot of people's draft boards. He reminds me of a of a prime Sheldon Rankins. That was a very short prime. It was a short prime. That was a short prime. But it was a good one. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of that. Reminds me a lot of a very primeful Sheldon Rankins. But again, you know, we're getting getting back to the the topic we talked about a second ago with. LSUE Byron Starks met with the media following the loss to Meridian Community College, and he gave his thoughts on the loss to Meridian. Meridian is a well-coached team, very disciplined. I thought they came in with a a mindset of of attacking. Uh, We knew that uh, Christian Terrell was going to be a handful for us, and nobody in Region 23 has stopped him. So, you know, we thought we could at least uh, force him to his right a little bit more, but he, he, he knows how to get downhill and get others involved and, and just run the show. Coach Starks also talked about how his offense struggled in the contest. Yep. Well, I, I just think even from the start of the game, we looked like we were a little uh, quick to the trigger on the certain. And, I, you know, generally we like to do those kind of things. But at the end of it all, uh, our execution was not great. You know, we, we have our um, uh, continuity offense. Guys just did not move. I don't know if it was the, the layoff, uh, but also it, uh, uh, Meridian had a part to do in that as well. They played a great uh, defensive game. Um, nothing that we haven't seen this year. You know, we played some pretty good competition in, in, in um, uh, McLennan and Chipola, and so we faced tough teams, but I just thought tonight we just it just wasn't our night. Looking at some more stories from around sports, the Houston Astros we haven't talked spring training a whole lot. Uh, the Houston Astros winning six to nothing over the St. Louis Cardinals. Framber Valdez picking up the win, two innings he struck out two and gave up no runs. Looking at how the Astros scored their runs, a four hundred and six foot homer from Corey Lee came in the sixth inning, and how about Jose Abreu? making his presence felt in an Astros uniform in the third inning. He hits a 437-foot bomb to left center field. The Astros win 6 to nothing. They are now 3-2 and two to start spring training play, and the St. Louis Cardinals fall to 3-2 and two in that one. The Astros struck out 11, took 24 total bases, and only issued two walks over in Sarasota, Florida. 
We've got a lot more to get to in today's crunch time. We're going to dive deep into the Arnold Palmer Invitational. We'll also recap some of the bigger moves in the NHL trade deadline. And Chris Haymeyer joins us at 530 to preview Campbell versus Louisiana. So don't go anywhere right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Join us for a day of golf and giving at the game's charity Golf Scramble. Benefiting Redbird Ministries sponsored by courtesy of Bro Bridge. Hit the links at Farm D Alley while supporting a great cause. With all proceeds from the tournament going towards Redbird Ministries' mission of serving families who have been given the extraordinary cross to carry the loss of a child. In addition to 18 holes of golf, the day will include great prizes, food, drink, and a great day with the staff at the game and courtesy Bro Bridge. So gather your friends and colleagues for a fun day on the course while making a difference in the lives of those in need. Get your foursome together and register now at 1037thegame.com. And together, we can make a difference. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 516 here on your Thursday. James, buddy, I've got a little proposition hypothetical thing for you what would you rather see first would you rather see the Boston Celtics win the NBA championship this summer or the Saints win the Super Bowl in 2023 which one would you rather see i'd rather see the saints nah there you go there you go that guy it's tough because i haven't seen either one live technically i didn't start watching football till after the saints super bowl and i didn't get into basketball to 2010 so that was after the celtics last championship so i haven't seen either one of them I still remember when, watching when the Super Bowl or NBA Finals yet. I still remember watching the Celtics win the NBA championship in 2008 from Belize. I was sitting in my hotel room in Belize watching the Celtics beat the Lakers back in 08. That was a uh that was a fun series. That was that was a great Celtics team. Rondo, Garnett, Pierce, Allen, I mean, you just you interesting couldn't. how the those relationships soured so fast between Rondo and Allen. Oh yeah, and then Allen being alienated by the rest of the the big guys, the rest of the group, right? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, was an interesting dynamic after that. Uh, oh wow, they updated uh Nolan's Nolan Smith's is now at a three four three nine four three nine instead of just a four 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 for his what? forty yard dash. That is that's insane. That is absolutely insane. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Looking at some of the bigger stories of the NHL trade deadline, Patrick Kane was dealt to the New York Rangers the other day, the three-time Stanley Cup champion, is now, quote, excited to make a run 
at a cup with the New York Rangers. The Vegas Golden Knights also acquiring veteran goaltender Jonathan Quick. He played for the Kings, was traded to the Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets said, we don't really need you. And so now we're going to trade you to Vegas. So he is not moving as far as he may have thought that he was going from Los Angeles to Columbus, Ohio. The Bruins also acquiring Tyler Bertuzzi and then locking up Pasta or David Pasternak, an eight-year, $90 million deal. The Boston Bruins may not be able to be stopped. 47, 8, and 5 so far on the year. That means in 60 games, they are 47 and 13. That is an incredible feat in the NHL. And again, just destroying everything in their path so far through this 2022-2023 season. Also updating you on the Arnold Palmer Invitational. We talked about John Rahm being in the lead at 7-under. Looking at the rest of the leaderboard, Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler sit three strokes behind him at 4-under. Xander Shoffley, Ricky Fowler there as well. Nick Taylor and Harris English, 3-under. Davis Riley at 2-under. Tony Finau and Max Homa at 2-under. Victor Hovland is at 1-under. Hideki Matsuyama at 1-under as well. Justin Thomas is at even par, along with former LSU ten, uh, golf player Ben Taylor. Shane Lowry at even as well. Will Zalatoris at 1-over. Roy McIlroy at 1-over. And Colin Morikawa and Mac Hughes at 2-over. And then Louisiana's own Sam Burns. James Sam Burns had a bad Thursday. He is sitting at five over par through round one at the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Bay Hill. Looking at the odds to win the tournament from BetMGM, John Rahm sitting at a clean plus 140. Taking that action, James. Plus 140 for John Rahm. He's got a two-stroke lead through one day. Yeah, I mean, still, the fact that it's in the 100s, you like that. Yeah, I mean, that's, you, you can't get, the only way you could get better is if it goes negative. If it goes minus 140. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I mean, plus 140 is a is an easy way for you to make, to make, <laughs> make some money. Cause make you, a little bit of money. You like what John Rahm's been doing a lot lately in these yeah, last I mean, few tournaments. He is he has been incredible as as of late, currently ranked. According to Comcast Business Golf Top 10, he is ranked as number one in the world. So definitely interested to see how this tournament is going to play out in Orlando because this is going to create a lot of momentum for the remainder of the season because you got the Arnold Palmer Invitational this weekend. You have the Players' Championship next weekend. Then you go to the Valspar Championship in Palm Harbor, the next three tournaments, all in Florida. And then at the end of March, you have the Valero Texas Open. And then you turn around, and it's the Masters, RBC Heritage. They come to New Orleans for the Zurich Classic. The Byron Nelson, the PGA Championships in May. You've got a two-month stretch here of some of the best tournaments 
on the PGA Tour. So this is going to be a key tournament here, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. This could create a ton of momentum heading into that stretch of some major tournaments. This this makes me think of it since we're talking about the Invitational. Do you enjoy yourself a good Arnold Palmer? No. I don't. No? You're not all I don't guy? like tea. What about what about the lemonade at least? You oh, like lemonade. I, I like lemonade. You just can't stand tea. I don't like tea. I can't. And that's and right, because you're you're not a tea or a coffee person. And people think I'm crazy because I've grown up in Louisiana my entire life and I just can't do sweet tea. I can't. I don't like it. My wife absolutely loves it. Loves it. Could drink it 24 7, 365. Can't. I can't. I don't know what it is. I don't know what about the taste I don't like. Just can't do it. The herbalness. Yeah. It's like when you're sick, drink hot tea. Hell no. No. You'd like honey at least, though. Because you could always do honey as a remedy. Yeah. I'm not a huge honey guy, but like. Honey's okay. Yeah. I'd do it if I have to. I'll, I'll, I'll do honey before I do tea. You look like a Shirley Temple kind of guy, though. Oh, what's that supposed to mean? Like, if you were to do some kind of special type of drink, I feel now, like you now like a Shirley, Shirley Temple. a Shirley Temple's Sprite mm-hmm. and cherry juice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would That's do that. That's what I'm saying. You, 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 oh, yeah. You're a Shirley Temple kind of guy. I would do that. Okay. I would absolutely do you that. You got so offended at first. Well, because... Never mind. We'll get away from that. <laughs> so going back to the Louisiana Rage of Cages women falling to App State, Gary Broadhead, we, we heard from him a little earlier when we talked to Noah Frary. We heard his opening thoughts. He also went in to talk about, you know, earlier in the year they played App State and they got a big win in Boone. What was different about the Mountaineers' defense last night than in the regular season? You know, I think last time they tried to pick us up uh, and they kind of left the baselines open, but this time they kind of spread it out the defense and they were trying to trap some of the some of the things that we were doing. And it, uh, I think they switched a lot. And, you know, their zone defense with, with, had a lot of pressure. And, you know, we couldn't get by them for some reason. We couldn't uh, – a lot of hand checks, but, you know, that's part of the game. We were hand checking too, so – um, it just made it tough to get to get to the rim, and I thought they protected the rim really well too, compared to last time because we got a lot of last time we played them, we got a lot of baseline drives, and it, Tamara was three for three from the the three last time we played them. She was she didn't really shoot it that well today, one for seven. You know, we had I mean, if you just look at the stats, it kind of tells itself. You know, here you have a game, you out rebound somebody and you lose. That's that's tough. I mean, everybody in America saying you out rebound people, you win and. So you got to make shots. You know, that's one of the things that we need to get to back to work and and uh, able to, you know, kind of get shots, uh, get shots uh, more times, find, you know, find some some time to, to really work with them. And, you know, we young team, you know, we just lose two kids. So I think we got, uh, we got a lot of potential for next year if we can kind of just continue to work. Talking about the potential for next year, only losing two players like he just mentioned, Coach Broadhead went into further detail saying there's a lot of room for growth on this team. Well, I mean, I think we got a lot of growth. Uh, you know, that's what we were talking about. If we, You know, uh, just three weeks ago we or four weeks ago, we were in first place in the conference, tied for first place, or we had an opportunity to tie for first. And uh, we felt that we got it, it slipped away from us, and it just kind of – kind of fell back, but that happens with youth, man, inconsistency and stuff like that. You know, you lose that game. I think that game took a lot out of us, and we, 
I think we lost the next three out of four, uh, which made it pretty tough. So, I mean, I, I, I think the potential is there, but you know, potential is a scary word too now, because if you don't get out and work, and uh, that's one thing that I think we're gonna do, you know, as long as I've been there, we work, man, I don't care. If we have a, a young team, an old team, a great team or a bad team, we're gonna go out and work, man. And, you know, adding the teams in the conference, I think made the conference a lot tougher too. The travel was just, well, brutal. So that doesn't hurt, help a young team at all. James, one more conversation before we take a timeout and bring in Chris Amire for that conversation previewing Louisiana and Campbell. Looking at the NBA, do you find it funny how superstars blow up a team, leave, and then want to go back? Here's what I'm getting at. James Harden blew up the Houston Rockets. Yeah, they got some young pieces, but they're in really not going in a great direction. And now it's reported that he wants to go back. Kyrie Irving blew up the Cavs wants to go back to, because he didn't want to be in LeBron's shadow, but yet wants to reunite with LeBron in L.A. Paul George blew up the Thunder and now was a key factor in getting Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook to the Clippers. I just find it interesting how guys want to get back together with their exes. Because they thought they could do, they thought they would still be good without them. And they, Kev- after time, they're like, man, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Kevin Durant and Westbrook getting back together for that short time in, in Brooklyn. That didn't work. That didn't work out well. Not not Kevin Durant. I'm sorry. Not uh not Russell Westbrook. That that's not who I who I meant to say. But again, you see the point. You look at that OKC team when it was Westbrook, Harden, and Durant. I mean, God, how many championships do you think that group would have won? I think if they would have stayed together and egos would not have been an issue, you would have felt really good that they could have Accomplished a few cha- a, ch- a few championships. That could have been the best big three the NBA has ever seen. Kyrie and LeBron, if they'd have stayed in Cleveland, that's the that's the big issue though is the egos. Absolutely, that was that was the thing with the Lakers when like, you, when you brought in Steve Nash and Dwight. Like even if James Harden didn't leave early on in his Thunder days and didn't go to Houston, even then I felt like over time. I mean that's. So many mouths to feed, just between those three. Nope. No, it, it certainly is. Um, that would eat so much of their uh, shooting attempts. And it's like, if you lose one of them, well, you have so much investment in those three. It's like the rest of the roster, the rest of your depth probably wouldn't look so good. If the Pelicans could have had a healthy Anthony Davis and a healthy DeMarcus Cousins. And a healthy Chris Paul and a healthy <laughs> healthy Zion. And <laughs> CJ McCollum, maybe... It, Brandon Ingram. I mean, how would you have gotten Brandon Ingram if you didn't trade Anthony Davis? But, I mean, the the star power that even looking at the Pelicans that they could have produced if 
Davis and Cousins were both healthy at the same time and on the court for more than you know, 20 games that they played together, that group could have been really good with Drew Holiday. That could have been a special team. But you never got to truly see it come to fruition in New Orleans. But uh, we'll take a time out here, 531 on your Thursday. Chris Haymeyer, the radio voice for the Campbell Fighting Camels. He'll join us on the game hotline next to preview Louisiana versus Campbell inside Russo Park this weekend right here on the game. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 536 here on... Your Thursday. Welcome into Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns welcoming in the Camels of Campbell to Russo Park this weekend. Off to a 6-1 start, including a midweek win over number 11 Eastern Carolina. Chris Haymeyer the radio voice of the Camels, joins us here on the game hotline. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time, man. How are you? Hey, I'm very good, and thank you so much for having me on. It's good to be talking back in God's time zone, which, of course, is the central time zone that I missed so much growing up in Missouri. Everything just makes sense in the central time zone, so thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. You know, the it, it's, so, it's so funny to – you know, when you when you work in this business and, and you interview people from all over the country trying to to figure out, OK, you're in the Pacific time zone. If I'm in the central, that's two hours behind. And just the math that you have to do. People said that you wouldn't use math after school, but they were kind of wrong. Oh, there's no doubt. And also with that, I never thought I, I thought West Coast bias was something that that, that whiny people from the. Uh, from the Pacific time zone talked about just because they, they felt like everything was being skewed towards the East coast team. And then 20 years ago, I moved out to North Carolina in the East coast time zone. I don't know anything about West coast baseball um, until about mid season. And also too, it, it is true what they say when those playoff teams start at nine o'clock Eastern, man, I don't see a lot of the ending of really good games anymore. So, so I'm, I'm glad to be talking to someone that you, you you guys don't know what you have there in the central time zone. Just uh, really, really cherish it for me, please. Looking at the Camels off to a 6-1 and one start. They won two out of three at home over Rutgers and then getting that huge win over East Carolina. And then you swept Butler. And now, you know, Butler going to be in, uh, down the road from us in Baton Rouge playing against the top-ranked LSU Tigers this weekend. Looking at this matchup, though, with the Cajuns, Cajuns sitting at six and two, Campbell sitting at six and one. Pretty a pretty even matchup going to be going down here in Lafayette this weekend. No doubt, it's going to be a great test, and that's what this team wants to do. You know, this is a Campbell team that's made it to the NCAA tournament four straight years. They've made it to the regional finals two of those four years, and two years ago, guys, they got in as an at-large bid from the from the Big South Conference. Part of the reason they did that was that they set up a, a really tough non-conference schedule. 
And so when they set up this trip, they wanted it for a couple of things. One, to play a, a unbelievable team like, like you guys have uh, in Louisiana, also to go through at Tulane, something that would, would not only um, build up their non-conference strength of schedule, but if they were to get a couple of wins as well, it would go a long way to help in case if they need to get an at-large bid again. And, and they love challenging themselves, and, and they like playing a team against Louisiana, which let's face it, that they might meet in a regional this year or down the road. Also, too, you know, in uh, in the NIL, um, NOI, um time that that we're in that they need something to, to to dangle in front of in front of recruits and transfers and, and taking a neat trip like this that's a long way from north carolina um that that ends them up in new orleans from a couple of days and, and shows them a different part of the country is uh it is a good thing and it's a great thing to show recruits so, so so they're doing this trip for a couple of reasons and they're really looking forward to testing themselves because they feel that they have one of the deepest and one of the most talented teams that they've had in the 10 years that has been a big run for, for Campbell baseball. You know, looking at Campbell's head coach, Justin Hare, he's been with the program for 13 seasons, but this is going to be his sixth as a head coach. 243 wins under Camp, uh, under Justin Hare. They've averaged 30 wins a season in that time frame. Talk about what Coach Hare does at Campbell that makes this program so special. One of the big things is he he is Campbell baseball, and and that's not too much of a of an understatement. When he came here as an assistant uh, over over ten years ago, Campbell baseball what was Division One really in name only. Um, they had a ballpark that that probably a lot of the uh, high school parks around your area look better than, and so he came and and turned around a team that had won eleven games um, the year before that they got there. Um, they went into the Big South Conference, and they said, you know what, we're, we're going to have this pattern where we're going to start recruiting JUCO guys. We're going to start getting local guys from the area and develop them, and we're going to build a winner. And that's exactly what he did. Um, there was just one NCAA tournament appearance before um, Coach Hare and, and his staff got there. Um, they got this team to the uh, Columbia, South Carolina Regional, and then um, the head coach went at the time, uh, went away to Louisiana Tech, I I believe, and and Justin Hare as an assistant took over. It took him a couple years to find his own voice, but then he found his own voice, and, and he's made the program even better. Uh, the stadium has been totally redone. Um, the recruiting budget um, is, is, is somewhere that it's never been before, and, and he's not only getting this team um, to win the championships and, and to the top of the Big South Conference, but he's getting them in regionals and they're winning uh, against East Carolina back in back in 2019. Campbell was one game away uh, from a super regional, and so he has built this entire program himself. And that's the reason why he stayed. He, he gets job offers um, from from Group of Five and beyond every single year. But but this is his baby. It's something special, and he truly believes that he can get this team not only to a super regional, but he thinks he can get Campbell baseball to Omaha. Out of the Big South, Coastal Carolina did that. We all remember not only got to Omaha, but won the whole darn thing. And he truly believes that, that, that he can do the same thing at Campbell. Looking at the statistics, Tyler Halstead leads in batting average, sitting at 444 in 27 at-bats. Who else is really making an, an impact for the Campbells early on this season? 
Yeah, definitely. One of the great things uh, about this team this year is there's some guys and some upperclassmen that have have really been through a lot of a lot of battles. Guys like Lawson Harold, Jared Belvin, Logan Jordan, Drake Pearson. These are guys that have been with this team and won over the past two years. Two years ago, Campbell was in the, the, the Mississippi State Regional, made it to the regional final. Mississippi State went on to the College World Series and, of course, won. And, and last year, they were in the Tennessee Regional and had to play the, the number one overall seed. So guys like Carroll and, and, and Belvin, Jordan, they're all batting over 350 right now, and, and everybody has power up and down the lineup. Uh, Drake Pearson, who hasn't uh, had a great start offensively, is the preseason player of the year. So they're pretty much loaded for, from top to bottom hitting-wise. And this is a team that also runs already 16 stolen bases this season. And it's interesting because back when this program was really getting rolling, they did not have the guys that could, that could go yard. They did not have a lot of speed. So what they did was they took a lot of walks, they got hit by pitches, and that's something that has still stayed in the DNA of this Campbell baseball program. They've been hit by 30 pitches already this season. They've taken 50 walks, and they've only struck out 71 times. So that's 80 free bases compared to 71 strikeouts, and that's what makes them such a frustrating team to deal with if you're an opposing pitching staff because they ain't going to get out of the way of one that drifts off the plate on the inside. And then when you finally try to get fined and put one out over the plate, they can take you out over the wall. Chatting with Chris Haymeyer from Campbell here on Crunch Time. You know, when you look at the Raging Cajuns, they're a team that produces a lot of offense. They score runs in bunches. Who has stood out on the bump for the Camels that can maybe control that Cajuns offense a little bit? Yeah, it's going to be tough, and that's where and that's where Campbell's really um, going to have to improve from what they've done the first week of the season. They outhit a lot of teams, and and the starters that they have had a lot of faith in uh, haven't really performed like they think they will. So, so they're excited about the potential. Um, the, their numbers as a pitching staff and ERA that's almost six is not where they want it. They do have some arms um, that are being looked at. Um, at the next level. Cade Keeler, who's the Friday night guy for Campbell, they think he could be a, a first-round draft pick. He's got a fastball mid to upper 90s, a devastating slider. But he's got a 5.40 ERA right now. Uh, Chance Dequila is a guy that they really like, a JUCO transfer that has had a couple of, of bad innings. But they're deep starting pitching-wise. So far this year, they've run into some trouble starting pitching-wise, but what they have found over this first couple weeks of the season is the fact that, that they have some good guys in the bullpen. Ty Cummings coming back, one of the best relievers in the in the Big South that had a great year at the Cape this last year. Um, he has performed exactly like they thought they were, but they've found some guys because they've been put in some situations where starters have been able have been pulled early. They've found some guys that have been able to give them extended relief. So they're really excited about their relief arms if these starters get into trouble. And that's something that, that Campbell hasn't had depth in the relief pitching for a long, long time. And as you know, and you get into a conference season, if you get into a regional, you're going to need a whole lot of arms. And in Campbell feels like that they finally have that. So, so they feel anybody that they trot out there on the mound can challenge any hitter, which is a good thing to have. One question I love to ask when you, when we do these previews is, you know, obviously it's early in the season, so there's a small sample size to this point. 
but are there any players, whether it's pitchers or, or on the offensive side, that had high expectations but haven't really started off that well but Cajuns fans should really get to know heading into this weekend? Yeah, definitely. And and I'll repeat a, a, a name of, of, of Campbell's Friday night starter. Uh, Cade Keeler is a preseason All-American and a guy because of the stuff that, that he has that they think um, will go into the first round, maybe maybe a top a top twenty pick. Um, so that's someone to really really keep an eye on. And and this is a a Campbell team in this program, you know, under Coach Hare, that has sent uh, over forty players um, to sign professional contracts. Last year, Campbell had two first round draft picks. Uh, they had Zach Neto that went thirteenth overall. He was a shortstop for this team. Um, he went to the Angels. And, um, and then um, Robert Harrington was a player, a homegrown talent from just uh, down the road, ended up going to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, so, so this is a program that, you know, not only has been, has been winning trophies and going to the NCAA tournament, but has also been producing guys that have uh, been drafted and, and been drafted in the top 10 rounds, which is, which is really a good thing and a different thing for, for, for Campbell baseball. And, you know, these are guys that weren't all that heralded coming out. Um, they've done that with some, some transfers. They, they really hit hard uh, a couple of JUCOs from the Southwest and the West coast. They like a lot, but they've also done it with homegrown guys that have grown up 10 miles down the street from Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. And, and, and that's as far out there uh, in the country as it sounds guys. So um, they've done a good job of developing guys, mixing, mixing in transfers and, and they've really built a, a really, really strong program that will challenge itself when it when it comes out there to take on you all this weekend. Chris Haymeyer, the radio voice of the Campbell Camels, joins us here on Crunch Time via the game hotline. Chris, appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the the crazy weekend. You know, crossover seasons always, you know, keeping you on your toes. So enjoy the weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Hey, thank you so much, and yeah, you. you you know how this time of year is. I'm, I'm talking to you from the media room at the at the Big South Conference Basketball Championships in Charlotte. So so thank you for having me on. Enjoy the weekend as well, and um, have fun. Absolutely, Chris. Appreciate your time. Thank you. And there he goes, Chris Haymeyer, the radio voice of the Campbell Camels. That series with the Cajuns gets underway tomorrow, 6 o'clock inside Russo Park. They'll also play 2 o'clock on Saturday and then 1 o'clock in the series finale on Sunday. We'll take a timeout, wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The monster trucks are coming back to the Cajun Dome with the toughest monster truck tour. March 17th and 18th and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has a VIP package. Enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, access to the pit area, a merchandise certificate, and lunch with the truck drivers that Friday. The toughest monster truck tour is back and you can win a VIP package courtesy of the game. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. 
Now back to more Crunch Time with Miquez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, James Mesh, it's a quiet night in the world of sports, especially locally. Got any big plans for tonight? Or is this guy enjoying the, the much-needed night of R&R, a.k.a. rest and relaxation? Probably do that. Maybe start a show. Maybe continue a show. Well, maybe just not watch a show at all and maybe, go do something else. Maybe you should start Outer Banks. Maybe. Maybe. Mm, maybe. maybe. That's, that's a big maybe. The Outer Banks. Paradise on Earth. The banks are outer. It's paradise on Earth. It's what that, that's what the narrator says. So, you know, I, I'm in a I'm in a dilemma here. So, but, like, you did you continue it? So I right. I'm on season three right now. But here's the problem. They haven't started filming season four yet. So if I finish season three too quickly, it's going to be too long without OBX. Yeah, but you can't you can't stop like you're on a roll I, right now. I know, I know. That's what's so tough. I know. I'm 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 in a serious dilemma. Maybe, and then also maybe I'll wait till season three of Ted Lasso comes out in two weeks. Oh yeah, you're a so big I've Ted also, Lasso guy. I've also got to get ready for that, and I just, there's just so much going. See on. See where he goes on the next adventures of his football team. Oh, AFC Richmond. You know what they say? Believe and believe. Mm-hmm. You got to believe and believe, baby. Oh my God! I want to take this opportunity to thank our guests today, Noah Frary, joining us for the Sun Belt Conference Tournament in Pensacola, as well as Chris Haymeyer joining us from the Big South Conference Tournament in Charlotte, North Carolina. Postseason basketball in full swing in the college ranks. For my producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe. Be well. Give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow for a Friday fun show. Getting you set for a great weekend here in local sports. Right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. We're back tomorrow, 4 to 6.